Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. is the Toffee Web Podcast. Hello, Blues. Welcome to the Toffee Web Podcast. And the Blues just about covers it in the wake of that really damaging home defeat to Fulham on Saturday. It was a game we all felt Everton had to win. And perhaps in very Everton fashion, they clearly didn't. Not even close. It leaves us still outside the bottom three just on goal difference and after what happened at Ellen Road on Monday night with Liverpool hammering leads goal difference could be very important come the final day of the season we'll get into what we thought went wrong on Saturday where we go from here starting with a trip to Selhurst Park this weekend that now has a lot riding on it in terms of the points the Toffees need to stay up uh, the we in question is almost all of us it's myself Lyndon Paul Andy and L. Uh, El was fortunate enough to have family commitments last Saturday. Andy was not so fortunate. And like Paul, uh, he got to see the train wreck in person. Uh, Andy, uh, what did you make of it all? And where is your head and heart now with seven games to go? Uh, it was kind of a really strange Goodison experience. Um, I felt... Very, very nervous before the game in that I got into the ground. I watched a bit of the warm-up and I almost was wondering to myself, how do I pass this time before they kick off? It was one of those where you, you are, there's something inside you crawling already, you know? It was it was a really strange feeling. And and, and a, the, the overall atmosphere, it felt kind of, I wouldn't say it was flat, but it was... There was definitely, whether it was nerves or whether it was 
an overall kind of I don't know feeling of the place um and for me it wasn't quite how I expected Goodison to be having not been up um very recently um and having heard and kind of felt what it was like at this time last year um it felt different to what I expected and I think that kind of was the mood of everybody on the day, uh, the fans and also the players. Um, and I think have, having seen the first 20 minutes go like they did and then obviously Fulham score, um, then we got the equaliser and for 20 minutes we were good and the place felt up and it felt like how I expected it to feel. Not I felt how I expected to feel. But then it kind of ebbed away again and the, the Fulham obviously did what they did in the second half. And I, I kind of sat in my seat at the end. I've not done this at Goodison much at all, but I kind of just sat there and felt really numb and really quiet and really quite, I would say it was quite sad feeling. And, I, and, and I've heard a few people talking about the game and the experience on Saturday that they weren't necessarily that angry with it. And they weren't necessarily like kind of, they weren't, the blood wasn't boiling but it was like a real kind of slumped, resigned feeling. Um, and I, I mean, I sat there for a good kind of, well, I was on my own. So I suppose I, I suppose if you have other people with you, they kind of drag you out, don't they? And you go off and do something else. But I was on my own and I was very much in my own head. And, and I was just sitting there for a good 10, 15 minutes. And I didn't really know what to think of it at the end. It was a a very real feeling of, oh my word, we are this bad. And you know, you heard stories floating around the park end of Bournemouth were two one up and Wolves were doing this and and you felt, wow, we are well and truly knee deep in this now. And um I'm sure we'll go on to how they set up and individual players' performances and maybe Sean Dyche's selections of the game. But the overall feel of it um was a really numb one. And I did not expect, whatever the outcome, I did not expect to feel like that at Goodison on a, such an important day. Um, and I did. Um, and I've kind of been trying to accept it <laughs> from then until now. And I don't think I have yet, but a really strange one for me. I don't know whether it translated to you, Paul, or, or you know anybody else watching, but it was a really... Yeah, I can't quite put my finger on it. A strange day at Goodison. I, I, I can second the numbness, definitely, after the game. Uh, I, I stood there and watched all the players sort of just like trudge off and uh, and we're going, yeah, and going in for a drink afterwards. And just like, I remember saying to my mates, they just feel so normal. It feels like that, like, this uh, threat of relegation feels more real than I can probably remember that remembered it being, you know I mean? I think there was a game last season when we lost at home to Wolves and walking out with that ground was like a very eerily, like silence walking, you know, out and just, um, it just felt down. Oh, this is real. Because I thought that was getting, yeah, at that point in the season, there was still a fair, fair few games to go against Wolves last season, but that was the one for, God, we didn't lay a glove on them there. This is really, you know, like this is really worrying. And it wasn't as much we didn't lay a glove on Fulham, but, that second half, we just got played off the park, didn't we? Fulham, Fulham were like miles better than us in, in, in the second half. And the lack of fight was a real worry. And just, the, yeah, as you say, the way some of the other results went um, against us. And uh, 
yeah, particularly the Bournemouth one when they get Spurs was a real sort of kicker. Um, yeah, just real numbness. To, 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 totally agree with that. Um, I, um, I wasn't. I wasn't massively confident going into the game. Uh, I think like <laughs> somehow, sometimes it happens, and Evertonians, shame on you. You should always know better than to sort of like get confident about <laughs> about, about Everton because like I think a lot of people are like this is the one we're going to beat these. We're going to there was that real sort of like this reading on Twitter and everything else. Everyone there just seems this real sense of, like yeah we're, we're going to do this one. We're getting yeah we, you know we've had some tough games. We're going we're going to win this one. That was the real sense and. My feeling was Fulham have lost the last five going into this game, and that's got to, and that's got to change somewhere. You know, what I mean, I didn't, I don't, not saying I expected the players off the park, but I was a bit concerned that we weren't going to get there, um, get the win. So I'm completely surprised by maybe the result, but yeah, the performance did shock me. Second half, it really did. So uh, that was the biggest concern for me, and uh, yeah, I just hope that they can uh, figure it out mighty quickly because it's a real, it's a real worrying situation now, isn't it? Yeah, I, I had a really weird feeling as well, and it was it, it was it actually quite shocked me that sort of seven o'clock on Saturday night, I sort of uh, you know caught myself and I thought I've not thought about Everton here. I've not I've not thought about the situation, <laughs> the game. You know, it was more that oh, it's happened again. You know, we'll we'll <laughs> see what next week brings. You know, it's and I wouldn't say that you know I wouldn't use the word apathy. I wouldn't say that we're conditioned to losing, but I feel like. Because this is, it's just, it's so much bigger than just Sean Dyche's tactics and the performance on the day, isn't it? For for why we're here, and you know, I won't go over all. You know, everybody knows the reasons of why we are where we are at the moment. From you know, over the last few seasons, the struggles that we've had, but it is, I think, there is a real lethargy for, compared to last season. I don't, I don't think it's an acceptance, but I think it is just, it's genuinely quite difficult to be that frustrated. I suppose it's like a you know, like a girlfriend who, you know, she's let you down a few times <laughs> and then, and then, you know, you, you try and make it work and then you think, well, this isn't working. And that's what it feels like. I feel like, you know, Everton is always important to me and it's, you know, a massive part of my life. But when you can see that, you know, the people who can inject a bit of electricity into the club and a, a bit of positivity and a bit of momentum, if they're just watching us slowly fade the way we are, I think it's very difficult for us in our position when we feel pretty helpless because at the end of the day, all we can do is, you know, shout our heads off and, and get behind the team. And I think I think that's what it is. It's that, you know, the the team where Sean Dyche has one midfielder out and to go two in the middle and the team just falls apart. You know, it, it's a team that isn't fit for purpose. And I think, I think that's what it is, really. You, you've got people who can make a difference. And because they're seemingly not, it's very difficult to then think, well, I can keep going with this because, you know, we're, we're calling for change. It, it isn't happening. It hasn't happened. And, you know, the results aren't what we want. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's just fortunate, really, that the res- the other results did go our way in the main. I do I do think it's... it's I would say the Fulham result was disastrous, but it's only going to be, you know, very obvious come the end of May, just how disastrous. It could be disastrous to the point that we, you know, we have only a few games to save ourselves, or it could have really, really damaging consequences. So, you know, as you said, Lyndon, before, we're still at the drop zone. Other teams have lost. The goal difference situation isn't, you know, isn't as bad as it could have been. 
you know, West Ham got a got a good point against the league leaders, but they still can get three points. So it's still very much in our hands. But for me, the psychological, you know, psychology of it was for me, it was Fulham and Bournemouth were the two games where I thought if we have to win, we will win. And it, you know, it wasn't a confidence, but it was they were my sort of the two where I thought if we're going to get anything, it'll be them. So now to you know to get back to where we think in terms of you know the predictions that we've had and stuff, Everton are now going to have to pull one out the bag that we're not really expecting, and I think there's you know there is so much riding on that Leicester game now. I think Bournemouth's a big one, but Leicester, it's almost like winner stays up. I think just because of the permutations, and I think you put on social media, Lyndon, about Bournemouth's ability, you know, ability to win away at Tottenham. I feel like everybody down there, it's so tight because anybody can beat anybody. But I feel like with Everton, the way <laughs> the way we're feeling and the fact that we've been down there for a while and the, the struggles at the club, I feel like we're not capable of that. So that's where I'm worried now that, you know, it, it's 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 going to take real character to beat Palace. And, you know, if, if Sean Dyche's team goes to Palace and gets a 1-0 win, it wouldn't surprise me. But it's just... It's hard now because, as well, with with seven games to go, those points that the you know the points available really do swiftly drop. Now it's twenty one, then it's eighteen. All of a sudden, it's nine, six, three, and then the season's over. So that for me is where the Fulham one was was a killer. But as well, it's just the whole situation at the club, and there are just so many layers of the issues and the problems, and the fans trying to get the team up for it. And the you know the connection with the fans and that relationship, there's just so many layers to it that you know I think it was a case that I you know Everton got beat. I was frustrated by it for an hour or so, but then I got on with my evening. And to think that that's the situation when we're in such a perilous position probably just does show how tired we all are and how we just do need a lift from somewhere. Whether that's Dominic Calvert Lewin, whether that's investment news whether we sign Hamas Rodriguez on a free and he scores 50 goals in the remaining seven games, I don't know. But we need something because I really agree that with Andy and, and Paul, there is a numbness at the moment and we sort of need somebody to shock us all to, to you know, give us a bit of enthusiasm. You know, not that we're lacking enthusiasm purposely, but it's just, it's difficult at the moment, it really is. You've hit the nail on the head, something you said, lethargy is replaced, I think, the shock of last year. Because last year it was like, oh my gosh, Like if, if we don't do something quick, we could go down here. Where this just feels like a slower kind of lingering death, doesn't it? it it's just, yeah, it's lethargy. I think, you've, I think that word sums it up beautifully. Yeah, there hasn't been a point over the past year or so where I've believed we would go down. Uh, everyone has their own approach to it, be it pessimism, uh, innate hope or blind faith. But my natural instinct has always been to believe that we'd be okay because it's the only way I can get through it, really. I- I'll be honest that full-time last Saturday was the first time I was hit with genuine fear that we could get sucked down. Uh, some of that's down to the fact that the fans are pretty much exhausted at this point. I mean, the 40,000 who turn up every home game to try and drag these players up the table have almost given everything they have now. And it's up to the players. Um, and their posture when they went 2-1 down was pretty alarming, honestly. That was the uh, last days of Lampard stuff, the way they looked beaten, even though there was almost an entire half to go. Even at 3-1, you know, with 22 minutes to go, you're never out of it in the Premier League, but they didn't have a shred of belief that they could get back into it. 
Um, so that's what scared me the most. There are other deeply concerning issues, like the form of the entire back four that started against Fulham, just how open we've been in midfield for two games running. But that air um, of resignation to defeat that was visible in the players and was pretty tangible among the crowd by all accounts in that second half uh, was distressing to me. But um, let's go from back to front. I want to get your thoughts on the defence first because it's such a key part of a Deitch setup, but it looks really porous without Seamus Coleman back there. And when Michael Keane and James Tarkovsky aren't on it, uh, let's say Seamus doesn't make it for Saturday. Do we persist with the same back four and hope that Deitch can get them refocused for Palace uh, or make changes? I I don't think we can we can persist with the back four. Um, I mean, well, Tarkovsky won't get dropped. It was a pretty awful performance from Tarkovsky, wasn't it? But uh, he won't get dropped. I don't think Keane will either, despite uh, that was a really, really, really bad goal, wasn't it? The third one. That was terrible defending. Um, ben Godfrey, you'd have to say, is at risk. He looks, uh, if, if, particularly at right back, he's so out, he just feels so out of place there, strangely, at right back. I don't, I don't quite understand how he coaxed better at left back, given he's obviously the right footer there. But not, he's, he's not, not at right back for me, Ben Godfrey. I'd like to think Nathan Patterson gets a game there if, 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 if Seamus, um, if Seamus can't make it. He's, he's built up his game time then. Not that he performed well, but you're, you're thrown into a game. It's not always easy. I think if he starts the game, you're probably getting a bit more out of him. And Mikolenko, it's, well, I guess we, we just lost our competitiveness in so many positions, I think, in that, you know, Mikolenko had a pretty poor game. Before that, we had Luca Dean. He was a much, he was a you know, very, very accomplished left back. <laughs> Up front, we had the Charles, and now, now we've got Mope. We had the Hammers, what do you get? And now we've got Dwight McNeil. McNeil had a good game, but you know, it's you get you see what I'm getting at. We're just it's just all over the pitch. You've been diminished in quality, and um, whichever manager's there is is consequently diminished of options. So that's it's a problem there. Um, over to Sean Dyche, what he does with, with the defence is difficult, really. It, there's a case of bringing in a different centre-back, isn't it? Because we've got so bloody many of them. But uh, whether they will, I don't know. I think he probably sticks to that partnership with the thoughts. Um, that's to see. Midfield. Um, Ramadan, it's Eid on Friday, isn't it? So I think we're going to be getting a bit more out of Anana and a bit more, hopefully, out of Adrissi Gay. And Decorey's still suspended. So maybe maybe that'll make a little bit of a difference in midfield and we're just praying that Dominic gets back in attack, aren't we, really? And But then when that happens, there's enormous pressure on Dominic then, isn't there? And you're asking an awful lot for players coming in who isn't match fit, you know what I mean? So it's um, it's really worrying all over, really. Um, I'm not too sure what Sean, Sean Dice does, frankly, but hopefully he's got the answers. It looked like a back four where the captain was missing for a start. Um I don't think. Well, I don't know what Ben Godfrey is. Um, he's he's not obviously not a natural left. He's back. not a fullback. No, he's not. Yeah. He's he, he's he's more of a left back than he is a right back, um, which is strange. But I think mm. he plays does play slightly better there. Uh, at right back, he just he just looks like a fish out of water. Um, and Mikhailenko, I mean, wow, I. I was from where I was sitting. Obviously, I was behind the park end goal, well, quite high, and so and I was kind of level with him in the second half so at his kind of his facing forward from left back. Kind of his 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 run down the down the left hand side was was kind of in my vision, and 
there were tw- there was twice especially where I mean I'd be disappointed if I gave the ball away like that. I mean it 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 was horrendous like the technical ability to pick out a player one was the 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 really overhit wide pass to gray for the second goal where gray tries to control it it kind of comes off him and all of a sudden fulham are breaking through the middle and then there was another one where he kind of switched it onto his right foot i know he's not right footed but he's he's a, he does this professionally um he, he switched onto his right foot and the pass the 10-yard pass was so far away from the target. I don't know who it was that came deep, but my word. I mean, that's just the bits without the ball. Uh, sorry, that's the bits with the ball. Um, I. It looked like a, a team which doesn't have any functioning fullbacks. Um, and that is a huge part of the game and a huge part of us looking solid, to be honest. Um, because our, our fullbacks under Dice OK they're not going to go gallivanting forward too much. But as a unit, that four is so important. Um, and it just looked like it looked like those two bits of the puzzle weren't working at all. Um, I don't think it was either Tarkovsky or Keane's finest day either, um, which just kind of compounded it, really. Um, but no, I mean, I don't know what he does at Palace. If Coleman's not fit, I mean, then Patterson comes on. I like Nathan Patterson for what I've seen of him. Um, but he also looked like he was either suffering from the nerves, the pressure, the rustiness of not being in the team for a while. Um, he, he gave the ball away with his first couple of touches, I think, didn't he? And tried to take it on down the right-hand side. And all of a sudden, they were they transitioned us again. Um, it's a huge problem. Um I don't know. I mean, I was trying to think of other options we've got. We've got Mason Holgate, I haven't mentioned, who could maybe play at right back. He hasn't. Has he played a minute under Dice? He might have come on at Arsenal, did he? In mm-hmm. midfield, was it? Yeah, he came on half time. Um, but what we do at left back, and I was interested to hear that God, Godfrey's injury was apparently a concussion injury. Now, does that actually put him out for a certain amount of time? Or not, I don't know what the rules are around that. Um, Isn't it a weak good question? Mm, I thought that, um, but then Sean Dyche afterwards was quite quick to say, "Oh no, he had a cut above his eye." We're kind of trying, maybe trying to deflect. I don't, I don't know, but um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what he does. Um, could the world could the world be played right back? I mean, he's played, did a pretty good job on the Frank Lampard at right back. I don't feel like. Sean Dyche will put him at right back somehow, but might, that might be the best option if there's a, if there's no one else. I don't know who else there is. I don't. Yeah, I'd put Holgate L, there please. first. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, again, I I hate to go on about the last seven years. Yeah, I do. But if you look, who was the Fulham left back? Anthony oh, Robinson didn't he play well? The, mm. the ex Everton yeah. player who AC Milan wanted a few years back who got his development. And again, it goes back to the fact of how Everton are bringing players through as well. You know, we've got Niels and Kunku. He came with a lot of promise. He was at Marseille. He's out on loan in the in the second division in France, but he's scoring goals and getting assists. And as you said, Andy, uh, as you said, sorry, Paul, it was, there's no competition. Yeah, we've got the, the lad who's playing left back for Fulham used to play for us, but, you know, we've let it, and that, that maybe at the time was uh, the right decision. So, I'm not going to like hammer Everton for that, but it, it, it is a wider point that we don't have that competition and we're not utilising the the squad we have with the development of those younger players. And 
it, talking about development, I feel very sorry for Ben Godfrey now because whether he's a great defender or he's not, we haven't exactly helped him thrive as a centre back because of our because of our shortcomings in in recruitment that he has to be the full you know the the stand in. Um, so for me, it's just I think you know that the situation at the football club, I think, is a real killer of confidence. You know, Nathan Patterson's come in; he's a young lad. Really, you would like to to phase him in. Really, you know, should you could say that there should have been a right back phase then about two three years ago. We've got Patterson, who's been there a year. He's had to be in the team fighting relegation. He's he's had injury problems, and now he's he's there again. So I think really it's just. You know, people say like an unsettled back four, but I think the whole defence are, are personally unsettled, just in terms of how they're being used. You know, Michael Keane, because of how many managers we've had, he's in and out of the cold. Now he's got a manager he's played under, so he's back in. But we all know that probably Michael Keane isn't in the top two centre backs at the club. So there's that. It, it's just it's it's so difficult to to pinpoint. And as you said, Andy Holgate's made up an appearance, and he's played in midfield. You know, it's <laughs> we're we're not getting any sort of. I know we've had injuries, but we're not. We haven't built a, a proper squad so that we can get that consistency, and it it does mean that you have to move players around. And I, I really feel sorry for Ben Godfrey because, you know, I might be misreading it, but I just feel like the poor lad. He just looks really under the cosh mm. all the time because he's he's doing a job that isn't his job. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, he's he's capable. But at the top level, playing Premier League football, when your team's down the bottom, you know, I would I wouldn't want to have a job where, you know, my boss is telling me you've got to do this that you've never done before. And by the way, if you don't do this right, the company's going to uh, going to be struggling next year. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a huge amount of pressure, and we just haven't created the right environment. I don't think for for these players to to grow and to thrive. So as I say, I hate going on about the last few years, but it does just feel like it's a symptom and. You know, it really does hinder us. And, you know, Sean Dyche, again, as I say, I don't envy him because I, I honestly couldn't tell you what, what the best what the best backline is. And, you know, in terms of Mikalenko, I know that he's probably, people have been quite critical of him since he joined. And I, I always felt he always gave us like a solid 7 out of 10 performance. But the last few months, he just hasn't been on it. His, his positioning especially. Um, and as you said, Andy's, He's been quite wasteful with the ball. You know, he's not the sort of defender that gets forward anyway. But when he does have the ball and, you know, he's in a good position, he is quite wasteful and, you know, his his crosses aren't really forthright and hit true into the box. Um, so it is, it, it's difficult. And I honestly just, I don't have the answer because I feel that every player at the back has a, a pitfall, basically because of, not because they're bad players, but just the situation we're in and the makeup of the team and, you know, even the the lack of another midfielder in the in the guise of the core, I think it's very difficult. But I think that you know Godfrey probably does need taken out the firing line now, or at least you know played in his natural position. But it is it's very difficult, and I think Paul hit the nail on the head. It's just it's not competitive. So if you have a bad game, for example, Michael Keane, he probably knows now because he's you know he's with Sean Dyche, who trusts him, and you know Sean Dyche is trying to keep us up. You know even. If he has a bad game, he's probably not too fussed. Where not too fussed, I don't mean that as professionally, but I mean he he won't be worried that oh my god, I've had a bad game and I'm not going to get back in the team now. Um, so it is. It's it's like a lottery. Got no idea what the defense will be in the next game. No, the midfield either. 
because as you say, um, Decore is out. Uh, I mean, on his own, Decore isn't a world beater, obviously, but he is vital to the way that Sean Dyche wants us to play. Uh, we're clearly finding out how costly that stupid red card against Spurs was, and there's been a lot of talk about how the manager got the setup wrong in his absence, both at United and against Fulham. Um, he's got one more game to serve of a three-match ban, so we've obviously got to try and find a solution there against Palace. It looks as though Dominic Calvert-Lewin is going to be involved to some degree at the weekend, and whether or start whether he starts or not, uh, that might affect how we set up behind him. And we seem to ask this same question every week. But assuming he doesn't start, uh, who should play up front? And if he does start, who plays either alongside him or just off him? Uh, where do we put a Wobi? Given that's becoming clear to me, at least that uh, we really need his creativity through the middle. And what of James Garner, who I thought had a decent first half, but just got lost in the second half against Fulham? I think we're probably going to probably going to go four five one again this weekend. Um, but who who plays and who doesn't is the question I guess I'm asking because we've <laughs> we've tried so many different combinations and we still don't have a um, sort of a winning formula. I think uh, Garner will play again. Um, uh, I think that the thing that um, set Garner back, I thought, on Saturday was a, a pretty good tactical change from Marco Silva, who just basically put Havasamid on him for the for the whole second half. And mm. uh, every time, Havasamid did a very good game. Um, he always did a very good game against us, doesn't he? Um, he um, yeah, and, he, and every time sort of get Garner was on the ball, he was just he was just tackled like you know or pressured very very quickly, and seemed like he ended up getting a little bit frustrated in the end. James Garner to me, but the first half he was excellent. Garner found a lot of space, got was able to dictate things, and he's quite central to that like that uh, really dizzy twenty minute spell. And we really should have gone ahead, shouldn't we? That's a, that, but that yeah. is one of the frustration. If we do go ahead there, who knows? We could Goodison's rock, Goodison's rock, and then we could have won the game. And we're having a completely different pod now. It doesn't. It's it's, it's funny football, isn't it? Our uh, little moments can just switch the switch the gloom and change your week just like that. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I think if you can look a little of having um, just a guy and Andrew and Anna, I just are two not quite sitters, but doing doing the you know doing the the scrappy stuff, I suppose, in the midfield on Saturday, and then like go on and play a little bit ahead of him and try and dictate things with the protection of two midfielders behind him. That could work, I think, um, perhaps. And then where you where you go with what? I don't know whether <laughs> I kind of I've kind of talked. I wasn't thinking about this before the podcast, but I've got, I've kind of talked myself into giving a will be the game at right back now. So <laughs> which would which is kind of free up like. Uh, Maybe Damari Gray on one. It won't happen, but then Damari Gray on one side, McDale on the other. But then, oh, do you want to see that Mopay performance again? Or do you just go with Sims and just you know, give, give the lads some more minutes and just hope that you can do something? It's a tough one. I don't think you can really win either way, but that, to be honest, up front, really. Shows the limitations, and, unless Dominic can, can get fit. But if Dominic's fit, though, does he start straight away? I mean, could he just, you know, is, or would that be like a, a, a huge gamble? It's. Dilemma's all over the pitch, isn't there? So I keep I keep moving track, London, don't I? I'm, I'm, uh, just on midfield, that would be my three. Um, That's all right. Gay, Onana, Garner, yeah. Calvert-Lewin came through that uh, training session today, sorry, the behind-the-closed-doors match against Chester today, and uh, played 60 minutes. I think with that, perhaps, and what what is it, almost two weeks of training behind him now, I think Deitch might be feel more comfortable about putting him in from the beginning. But... Uh, who knows? <laughs> I was so surprised with what he, what we were trying to do in general on Saturday. Um, 
I know this is probably well trodden turf now, so we don't have to go over and over and over it. But like when I saw the team news, I thought, okay, well, that's a three-man midfield of Ghana, Ghana, and Awobi with Gray on one side, McNeil on the other, and he's picked Mope. Okay, didn't see that coming, but but how it panned out. I mean, the first the first twenty minutes of the game. I could not believe what I was seeing, really, in terms of... Uh, in, it's, I think f- professional football is so weird sometimes in that these guys work at this all week. So there must have been a plan. There must have been a plan that they've run over and over and over, spreadsheet after, you know, whatever, uh, on the training ground as well. And it gets to a match day like that. And you look at Jordan Pickford repeatedly putting high balls up towards Mope and Gray. And these two huge Fulham centre-halves just mopping it up. And obviously something changed and there was a tweak and Iwobi played a bit narrower and whatever else, but I couldn't get over what I was seeing. And I felt that we all all had an idea within two or three weeks what we thought Sean Dyche's team was going to look like at Everton, didn't we? It was going to be this kind of hard-running midfield and difficult to play through. But when we get the ball, we're going to, you know, try and be expansive. And you could see the press working. Onana would go and then Decore would go. And I appreciate neither of those players were on the pitch. But he had three central midfielders there. You know, he, he did have the midfielders to play. I know they're different, but he had options to play the same system, just with different people in it. And I, I, I can't understand why that all didn't change very, very quickly. Um, I was I was so surprised by that. As to what I do next, I mean, he can't play that again. He, he just can't. Um, I, the, whether it was a four four one one or whether it was a four four two, I think we have to get back to three in central midfield, and whoever they are, really. I mean, you know, you've got Davis, James Garner, Garner, Awobi can play in there. Um, he has to find a three that works. And I mean, crikey, people around me in the park end were calling for Ellis Sims within 15 minutes. I mean, um, this is the kind of pressure we're putting on this young kid now who <laughs> didn't look an awful lot better when he came on, to be honest. But um, this is the kind of the scenario in stadium now, isn't it? That, you know, if, if there's one bit of the team that, we don't necessarily agree with or can't really see why he's done it, then it all starts snowballing. Um, yeah, I was, I, I was, um, I don't know what it, it was like watching it or, or um, seeing it back on the highlights or whatever, but I just couldn't understand what we were doing um, in that first part of the game. And then, <laughs> and then when we went three, one down, he brought Tom Davis on. And I, I actually said out loud, I said, that's the answer, is it? That's the answer. We bring Tom Davis on. I mean, with all respect to Tom Davis, what's that all about? Um, I would say that one, though, is probably a bit of a planned change because Adrissa Gay could only do doing Ramadan while playing. You, you just literally can't have the energy levels to play. I think that was going to happen regardless. I, I, I take your point, Andy. I mean, there should have been Sims should have been on by then anyway. You, you would have thought. But like, uh, yeah, if it, that was the rationale behind that one. I, I would have thought anyway. Yeah, I think for me it would be to basically same team but take more payouts and put a, another midfielder in so that Damari Gray's up front. Because I, 
I don't really rate Iwobi that much, but I think that we do miss like his creativity when he's central. But then if he's not out wide on the right, I think we'd miss that that running that he does getting back. So although I don't rate him, he is a key player. It's it's very weird that you know we need him, but um, so it's it's for me it's it's that that I think as well as being difficult to run through in the midfield, I think we need that creativity. And I think that's where. James Garner is a real plus, but it's then what's ahead of him. So, you know, you would hope where James Garner gets his head up and can play those through balls that that would be good for Damari Gray. Um, and then that might just get Dwight McNeil further forward as well. It might get Awobi further forward and maybe running in if, if Patterson, if he's right back, if he can get beyond. Um, so I think James Garner gives us something different, but I completely agree that we need we need three in the middle. We absolutely do because it, it just... It doesn't function, and I don't. I, you know, I, I'm really surprised that you know when we signed Neil Morpay, I wasn't exactly ecstatic about it, but I thought that I'm actually quite surprised at how poor he's been. It, it's not even a case of he hasn't scored goals; it's he's just completely ineffective. We we've basically, you know, Solomon Rondon, who was pretty ineffective, has gone, and we've replaced him with a very different type of player, but it's the same impact, and it, it's pretty much zero. Um, and again, it's because we're not we're not able to play to people's strengths. You know, it, Dwight McNeil's received some criticism throughout the season, but if you think if he had Dominic Calvert Lewin, a big number nine in the box, I think McNeil all of a sudden looks ten times the player. So it, it's difficult that I, I don't think Neil Morpay is as bad as what we're seeing. I don't think he is that ineffective. I think you know, I don't think he's ever going to be a twenty goal a season Premier League striker. But from what I've seen of him at Brentford and at Brighton. He's much better than what we've seen. Um, and, you know, if you think back to his first goal against West Ham, really good finish, edge of the area, playing with confidence. And I don't, again, it's it's similar to like Mikalenko. You know, they're good players. You see that they've, you know, they can have good spells and, and whatever, or like in their past career. But for some reason, you know, more pay is just, it's, this isn't against him, but it's like playing with him, man. Because it, it, the ball doesn't stick, and as you said, Andy, we're going long to him. What, why? When it, it's it's <laughs> we're not we're not helping him, and, and that's what that's what's really frustrating me at the minute with Everton is Sean Dyche is is actually getting the best out of the players, and you know trying to play to their strengths, but the the, the lack of functionality in the team means that he can't really do that. Um, and I think that's why I think you know he's gone four four two. And, you know, people will be critical of Deitch, but you look at him and think, well, he's trying, isn't he? He's trying to find something. And he just, just doesn't have the parts to, to build what he wants to build at the minute. So, you know, we've just got to... And that's what's so scary as well, is that this lack of form could last a month. But if it lasts a month, it could be so detrimental to Everton for a year, two years, five years, just because of where we're at right now. So... And I think that's where it goes back to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. If, he, if he's been able to get through 70 minutes of that Chester game and we can get him firing for three of those remaining seven games, it could be the difference. And I think that, you know, I think all of a sudden with Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the team, I think every single player on that pitch gets better because I, I just think the team knits together that bit more. I think there's more of a, a purpose and a target to aim to. Um, so it is. It's. I feel like Everton's future is just in the balance based on a few things that could or couldn't go our way in the next in the next month, which is just it's just really frightening. 
I think Rondon would be playing. I think he would be playing a lot. Hmm. Yeah, he probably would be, wouldn't he? Um, Neil Mope, um, it's just confidence is absolutely shot to pieces, isn't it? I mean, like you see, he's having really presentable opportunities. He's that free hair there. When, you know, you got to score that. And I probably get the impression if one goes in, he probably would score, start scoring a couple of goals. But we just don't have to. We don't have the luxury of time to, to, to wait until he gets one. You know what I mean? And it's... Um, it's quite sad to see, really. I think he's, he's, you know, seems like seems like quite a good lad. Neil seems like quite a popular lad, and you know, amongst them and that. And it's really, I just, I just feel really sorry for players when they're really going through a horrible spell and everyone's getting on the back. And you know, but it's, uh, yeah, we can't justify having him in the team at the moment um, at all. Um, and yeah, and, but there's no real solution, is there? You're probably right, uh, Al, and that the the best option if there's no Dominic is the Marley Gray up top. Um, I think it's that that's that's kind of improving in the games really. But um yeah, if Dominic can be fit, it's it might I mean, maybe it's the point of having to sort of throw caution to the wind of him a little bit anyway. And even if there is a little bit of a risk of breaking down again, we're running out of games but you know, rapidly but, but yeah, we haven't got much road left now. So it might be a case of just having to play Dominic and regardless I, I don't know, but it's um oh that's frightening it really is. Yeah. Mope's problem is he's ill-suited to the way we play, and now he's struggling with confidence, and he just seems to put everything straight at the goalkeeper. Starting with the end, you know, the the Goodison derby, mm. which would have been a you know a, a great way to turn himself oh, yeah. into an instant <laughs> hero. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, obviously Crystal Palace have turned themselves around, and I'm you know they're more or less practically safe at this point. Roy Hodgson is. Um, well, I think he surprised me the impact that he's had, but uh, they're obviously going to be playing with confidence, but maybe perhaps with a bit of um, complacency, and maybe they're starting to put their flip flops on for the summer. How do you think? How do you think Saturday's going to go? Are we going to see a reaction from the players? We're going to have to have one if we're going to get out of this. But uh, how do you see it going? I think what actually gives me confidence is the fact that they've had that upturn in, in fortune. Um, obviously, from what we've seen against Fulham, you know. Teams who've got their flip flops on, or you know, can still beat us. But I don't know. I just feel like a team like Crystal Palace aren't going to go on such a win and run. If that makes sense, it's almost like because they're in the bottom half, you know, that they do have off days. And I, th- I think that's what's given me confidence. Basically, that Roy Hodgson's come in, they're riding that crest of a wave. That you know, they've when you consider they, I don't think they had. Sh- a shot on target in Patrick Vieira's final two games, I think it was. And then I think they've literally had about 47 in the games under Hodgson. And it is, I think, I think it, you know, we've just talked about more pay. It's amazing what just, you know, circumstance can, can do in, and, and the situation, you know, it, if Neil Morpe, you know, if one goes in off his backside, it's Ellis Park and it's the winner, you know, former Brighton player, he celebrates in front of them. And all of a sudden, you know, he's walking 10 feet tall, isn't he? So, you know, it, as you mentioned, Paul, it's it's so amazing how such little moments can define things. But, yeah, I think that, you know, Crystal Palace are playing with confidence, but I feel like it's that's not going to last forever. And, you know, I, I feel like it's it's an opportunity for Everton to, to right the wrong of last week and go there, you know. And I think the fact that we can be a bit more defensive and solid and, and maybe hit them on the counter-attack, I think it is much better. And, you know, if I had my way, although Goodison saved us last year, I think under Sean Deitcham with this team, I think I would, you know, I know our away record isn't great, but it would be good to have a few more games on the road because, 
You know, I think that's where the opportunity is that I just feel like we're a bit more solid really and the onus isn't on us to attack. We can we can we can pick our moments a bit more, I think. So yeah, I'm I'm not confident. You know, I'm not confident, but just the way football narrative works, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see us get a win there. To be honest. Uh, well, my rationale for for not fancying us against Fulham was that Fulham have lost the last five and they're due a win. So by that logic, Palace <laughs> have won the last what the last three and are due a defeat. Everton haven't won in four and a duo win. Everton have won one away all season and a duo and away win. Sean Dyche hasn't won away yet. So, yeah, obviously we're going to win. Yeah, it's a start there. All, all, all the stats are suggesting as much. So, um, let's hope. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I've actually got a lot. I've got a little bit of a good feeling about Crystal Palace, not based on performance, obviously, in the last game. I just um, get a feeling maybe it was a bit of a watershed moment, the match on Saturday. Maybe the, maybe the players. Hopefully the players have got it in them to 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 realise how crap they were at the weekend and you know really pick it up and uh, you know do do something back give something back to the fans on uh, on Saturday at Palace. I hope so. I'm going, so I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully uh, travelling back with three points. I don't know what I feel about it. Um, it it is definitely an opportunity, and I, I think I agree with Ellen that if they if they hadn't have just won three on the trot and were more or less safe. Um, I think it would probably be a tougher game. Um, and with it, I mean, if Palace had dropped, if, if Palace had lost their three games under Hodgson and all of a sudden were probably banging it or even below us, it would be a real pressure game. And uh, even though it is a massive pressure game for Everton, I think it would be even more so if, if we if we kind of had to beat them to get above them or you know whatever it was or to put up some distance. So, yeah, football works in weird ways, doesn't it? Um, I'm just looking at the other fixtures um, as I spend my life doing. Uh, by the time we by the time we kick off, Southampton would have played at Arsenal, and Leeds would have played at Fulham. So that's before we even start. Um, so we hope that Fulham's um, flip flops stay off for a couple more um, hours on that day, at least. Um, I mean, the other games, the huge one for us on Saturday is Leicester host Wolves. And we need Wolves to get something there. I mean, Liverpool got Forest, so you would hope that, again, I don't like hoping much, that the Reds would win. But, you know, you'd hope they do us another favour there. Um, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is there. I, I fancy us to get a point. Um, is, is a point any good? Is a point in any way useful? Probably. If the other results go again, uh, go our way, um, so yeah, I, I'm going to be positive too and say that that there's every chance Everton being Everton and football being football that we go down there and play a lot better and get something. I think any point is crucial at this point, but you know we're gonna probably we're probably going to need to win three games in the last seven. Well, I'm just kind of hoping that, like the last, the last two Wolves away and Bournemouth at home, um, I think. Um, I'm kind of hoping they're both like it, it's so bad, isn't it? Like we're like we're hoping that Bournemouth are already safe by then. That's what I mean. It's, that sounds that sounds ridiculous, but like that's that. Yeah, they could be two games when there's two teams who've, who've, who've done what they needed to do and they're safe. You know, which, which hopefully like might make our lives easier. That has come to that. That might come to that is pretty criminal, isn't it? But we'll take it won't we if that's what it takes to get out of it absolutely you're listening 
to the Toffee Web Podcast. All right, well, let's move on to the weekly question. Um, in view of Andy's trek north from the West Country to be, to be let down by Everton, we thought we'd make that the topic for this week's question. Um, what is uh, the furthest you've travelled <laughs> to be let down by Everton? Uh, it's a fairly obvious one for me, given my location in the world. Uh, even though I was already in England for uh, Christmas, uh, this past Christmas, um, you know, I was obviously going to make a trip to to Goodison Park. And uh, if you count that it's 5,500 miles from California to Liverpool, uh, going all that way to see Everton lose 4-1 to Brighton in the way that they did, I think is uh, unquestionably uh, takes it for me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and that was a very familiar feeling actually watching, uh, watching Saturday's performance that brought back uh, some horrible memories. In terms of within England, uh, I did travel once up from Brighton uh, up to Burnley under uh, Ronald Koeman to see us lose 2-1, uh, which was, I have to admit, probably the first time I realised that uh, it wasn't going to work under Mr. Koeman. But uh, how about for you guys? I went to um, <clears throat> I went to the Benfica uh, 5-0 on nil five. Um, it's obviously quite a long journey, but doubly bad for that one was like undeterred. I, uh, despite losing, we still qualified. And then I went back to Lisbon again, a few months later to see us lose three nil to sport on Lisbon. So that was two trips, to, two, two trips to Lisbon to see us score none and concede eight. So, uh, that <laughs> within a couple of months. So that was, uh, that probably does it for me. I imagine. I think Paul, I can actually beat that one then. Because although you saw <laughs> oh, yeah. you saw two defeats in the same city in the same month, I saw two defeats in the same afternoon when uh, we played in the Opel tournaments against Mainz in, uh, and Sevilla in Germany. So I flew out there, we played Mainz, we got beat, <laughs> and then we played Sevilla and we got beat. So I have the distinction of seeing Everton not lose just one, not once, but twice in the same afternoon. Um, and that, that is the furthest I've gone. And then... You know, a week later, I've actually because because I, I spent some time living in Germany in Berlin, I actually went back to so I went to watch the I stayed in Frankfurt and went to the Mainz game, then I went to Berlin to see some old friends, and then I went to Bremen, and that was a nil nil as well. So it was a it was a really good ten day trip, but I didn't really see much from Everton, which uh, doesn't make a change really. <laughs> did Everton at least get any goals in that in them? Uh, in them I think we did, but the, the, my, my my lasting memory was well. So I wore the, you know, the yellow and black away shirt from like the 96, 97. Yeah. I wore that. It was like a lovely a... summer's day. And then the heavens opened for about five minutes. <laughs> but if you remember that material, I was weighed down with, with rain. <laughs> then my ticket didn't work, so I missed the kickoff. Uh, there were about 200 of us in the away end. And then what I always remember is at the end of the game, the players came over to like thank the fans. And I think, was it Marco Silva? Yeah, the the summer before he got sacked, he sort of told them to you know thank us, and it was a few of the young lads, and I'll never forget. Nathan Broadhead took his shirt off and threw it into the crowd, but what he hadn't realised was there was mesh, so the shirt just <laughs> just went high and then just fell down, and he, he just sort of had to walk over and pick it up himself. You know, this big moment of thanking the fans, and it, yeah, just yeah, the trip was amazing, but the Everton side of it just didn't go to plan at all. Oh. Uh, I really needed that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I must admit, on the uh, on the way back from Goodison on Saturday, 
because obviously I went straight up there from home. I came straight back afterwards. Um, that trip back. I mean, I, I know it's and it's nothing on you guys what you've just said there. I mean, you know, going to Lisbon and Germany and over from California. Uh, you know, it's it's a whole day, literally a whole day for me. Um, and I just thought, why did I do that? Well, <laughs> you know, it sounded like such a good idea at the time. You know, a ticket comes up. Yeah, go on, get it. That's a great impulse buy. I'm going to have a lovely time. And I did. You know, it, it, I got up there, walked around the docks, walked along to the new stadium, about 35 minutes in the sunshine. Other blues doing the same, all with Everton shirts going down the, you know, the, the side of the docks there, taking photos through the fence. It was lovely. I had, you know, nice cup of coffee, got to the ground early. Oh, and then Everton just ruin it, don't they? You just think, God, that whole day <laughs> ruined, ruined. I, I did go a bit further to to, to an Everton game once. I, I haven't been abroad to watch Everton, which is one thing I must put right at some stage. But God knows when I'm going to be doing that. <laughs> um, but I did go from university in Cornwall to watch the Anfield derby on the train once. And it was on the train and I, we missed one on the way back connecting train. Um, so that was, and we ended up getting back into like Falmouth at three, three something, um, because it was a bus or I, I can't even really remember how we got back, but it was a dreadful, but that was a nil nil at Anfield, which, which I suppose in the current scheme of things is not too bad, but, um, yeah, long way to go for a nil nil. I did, um, I did Lille for the nil nil as well. Oh, I went to that one. That was yeah. a great trip, but again, uh, but for Everton. And I I accidentally booked a hotel that was 19 kilometers outside the city center. Um, so I ended up just staying out and just went back to my hotel about two in the afternoon before my coach. But um, yeah, so that was another one. Just, oh, yeah. The trips are great. It's just the football that, that lets it down, isn't it? Well, yeah. I was going to say that at least if you if you're traveling, then you've got the trip, and you've got so you can do some sightseeing, and you can see a new city or whatever. It's you know when you're traveling up and down the country, and and it's it's worth remembering that there are thousands of blues who do this, who've been doing this for years now, with almost nothing to show for it. So um, yeah, this team definitely owes them uh, for sure. Um, but uh, I guess we'll wrap it up there. Um, it's a case of keeping the faith, doing everything we possibly can uh, to drive this team forward. Not just this weekend, but on Thursday week when Newcastle come to town. If you're traveling down to Selhurst Park Brews on Saturday, safe travels and up the toffees. We'll be back next week.